0: Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. So today is Sunday, November 26, 2023. You guys ever had a song stick in your memory? Songs are kind of odd that way, huh? They sometimes come back to you after an absence of many years, and you don't know why they're stuck in your mind the way they are. That sexy grandma on the front row is my wife. My wife can hear a few words from any song in the 80s, any, and immediately pick up the rest of the song and the lyrics. It's always been shocking to me. The funny thing is that she can even recall those lyrics without ever really considering what they mean. Uh, Have you ever thought through Bohemian Rhapsody or where you at Bosch, Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith? I mean, you can s- recall and sing lyrics that you haven't heard in years and you really didn't think even about what it meant. I know when Charlie and Joe got saved, when I got saved, we got rid of all of our music because it wasn't as innocent as we thought it was. I have a 20-year statute of limitations on music, by the way. If, if it's 20 years old, then, you know, it's been absolved. Uh, Did you guys know that there's an unforgettable song detailed in the Torah? Unforgettable. It's a song whose lyrics have intense and profound implications for all of human history. Today our message will be titled, Remembering the Unforgettable Song. Because it really is how the Apostle Paul wrote Romans 11. He remembered the lyrics of an unforgettable song one that he had learned as a child, but didn't understand until after his encounter with Jesus.
1: So do you guys remember our Wednesday midweek service this past week? Wednesday! The sermon was entitled En Christos, or "In Christ. And for a near first in LCM history, it was about 45 minutes. Yeah! (laughs) That was despite the fact that the sermon started by recapping Sunday's message, Underground Railroad. Now, we're about to let you in on a secret that you weren't aware of. The reason it was 45 minutes is that it was the intro to what we're speaking on today. We just divided it up. See what we did there? Given that it was the intro to what we're speaking on today, it might be important that you remember certain aspects of it. Given that you should remember that there was a connection between Paul's statement in Romans 9 that he could wish he were cut off for the sake of his people. And Moses' example in Exodus 32 and Deuteronomy 9. The connection was namely that these men were motivated to ensure God's name was glorified and held in high regard, even in the sight of the nations around. Look, engaging with this began to shape into us a greater understanding of what it means to be in Christ or in Christos. Like more than just a churchy saying, but understanding what that actually means. Now, you'll remember that that phrase is something the Apostle Paul used no less than 84 times in his writing. Furthermore, we examine the need to be personally baptized in the Spirit the desires of God, and the character of God in a more full way. We even began to examine Acts 2 and realize that it has not nearly reached the fullest completion of the baptism of the Spirit that was promised by the prophet Joel. Romans 11 spoke of Paul and Paul speaking in Christ, in the very Spirit of Christ. He got to the place where he was moved to song while writing a letter. Now, what was it that moved him? He was writing about the redemptive plan of God for Israel. See, this demonstrated what it looked like for Paul to be so in the desire of God, the spirit of God, in what God wanted, that as he began to detail Israel's redemptive plan, it caused him to break out in song. Saints, these revelations... They challenged each of us to examine how in Christos, or in Christ, we actually are on a personal level. How filled with His Spirit and His desires and His concern we are personally. See, how much concern we have for the glory of God is something that can be examined by how moved we are by His plan for Israel because it is His desire. To summarize in short... We all learn that we must pursue a greater level of unity with God's desires and ask for his mind, his spirit, his heart, his desires as his people, or we're not really in Christ if we don't have the desires of Christ. We must be in Christ to a much greater extent as a body to face the days that are ahead of us because we're moving to past the point when these things are just future tense. We're about to engage with them. Furthermore, much of what the scripture has promised will come to pass has only begun and will require us to fully align with God's desires to be able to fulfill our role in bringing about the culmination of the ages. Saints, is it weighed in on you yet that you have a role in the culmination of the ages? Well, the culmination of the ages is Israel's redemption. And we must be able to sing in Christ, as Paul did, with the same kind of unity and God's desires about the redemptive plan for
0: Israel and then the world through Israel. So I'm going to start by mentioning the blatantly obvious. I'm not a musical man. You may remember... That one of the things that triggered the message in Christos was the idea that Paul broke into song after writing nearly 11 chapters. Truth is, is that concept captured my attention precisely because I can't imagine doing it. Yeah. So Paul had to be so in Christ, so aligned with his plans, so aligned with his objectives, so aligned with his desires, that he swelled with emotion, and it produced a song. And he wrote it in a letter. You know, what I didn't realize was much like Vanilla Ice, who borrowed his most famous riffs from David Bowie, or many other artists who did the same thing, Paul was sampling an earlier song, even more famous by an inspired composer. Do you all know what sampling is? Now, it's important that you don't get upset when I say that about Paul. I mean... Everybody got upset when Millie Vanilli did what they did. Bop, 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 baby. MC Hammer, who sampled Rick James' work, don't look into that. The truth is, its original composer wanted the song to be remembered. And God said that the song, God said that the song was unforgettable. In order for any of this to make sense to us today, we need to identify a few of the lyrics that are in Romans 11, and the ones that were lifted directly out of an earlier version. Do anybody remember Vanilla Ice trying to explain? You know, dun dun dun, dun dun. dun. Yeah, yeah. He was wrong. Paul was not wrong. Let's look at Romans 11, verse 33. Timo's like, who's Vanilla Ice? I, I know. I get it. It's kind of like Larry Bird. You've got to give the white guy something. All right. Romans. He said, who's Larry Bird? Yeah. Romans 11, 33. Are you ready for it? Nick, are you ready for it? Yeah. Oh! oh! The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him, that he might be repaid. Somebody say, repaid. Repaid. So as Paul broke into song, he's really just sampling an earlier work. The theme of repayment to God is the issue in this verse that was lifted. Now, you don't recognize the tune yet, but soon... The original work will come back to you and you'll understand what Paul's doing. We're going to move to our next sample. You ready for it? Yeah. Tell me you want it. I want a sample. I want a sample. Romans eleven twenty five, 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way... All Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. When Paul was discussing the mystery of Israel's salvation being preceded by a partial hardening, Paul is again sampling from the older composer's work. I get it. I can see. Like, you're still sleepy. You don't recognize the tune yet. But soon the original will come back to you yeah. and you will understand what Paul is doing.
1: Come
0: on. Romans 11, our next sample. Say, I want the sample. I want, I want the sample. sample. Verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. Somebody say, Sample. And thus save some of them. For if the rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Are you guys getting the tune yet? No. Has the original song come back to you? I can tell that it hasn't. You know, Caleb Brown, he knows this tune. I was speaking with Peter Allen yesterday, and he recently discovered the Golden Oldies hit. And this morning, Abimbola was starting to catch the tune. I mean, he's genetically advantaged for that, but, in but every he way. started to catch the tune this morning. How about the rest of you? See, you don't get it. Well, the issue at hand in these verses... Is the jealousy of the Jewish people. A much more famous artist composed a song 15 centuries before Paul. And Paul has, all he's done is remember something that God said was an unforgettable song. And he's begun to understand it. I want you to be able to catch. I want you to be able to appreciate the original tune. I mean... If you liked what M.C. Hammer did in my generation, that's only because you had never heard Rick James. If you liked what Vanilla Ice did, it's because you had not quite understood the brilliance of David Bowie. Now, all of those are wicked lost men, and I'm going to stop talking about them right now. We're talking about men that were moved and inspired by the power of God and how they built on each other's work. So again,
1: I am not a musical man. No. Which comes as no surprise to this congregation. It's almost like there's a genetic deficiency that carried through. That did not come from mom's side. No. (laughs) Cody, I don't know what happened to us, man. There are two that are musical and two that are not. But for me personally, I don't always catch the rhythm or the melody. Like I can't just repeat to you a song I heard. I recognize it when I hear it, but I can't iterate it on my own. So sometimes it helps me visually to recognize a rift. So I have a slide for you that is the three key riffs from Paul's samplings of an earlier song. Paul sampling. So we're looking for a slide. There, there we go. <laughs> Paul sampling another artist. What you saw from Romans 11, 33 through 35, is the question of repayment to the Lord. Then from Romans 11, 25 through 26, you saw that the issue at hand was the partial hardening of Israel that comes prior to their national salvation. Then in verses 13 through 16, you saw that Israel will be made jealous by the Gentiles. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Are you guys beginning to catch some of the basic rifts that Paul lifted from an earlier work? Yes. These things were lifted from a work that came 15 centuries prior to Paul's doxology or him breaking out in song in the middle of his magnum opus that is called Romans 11. See, God commanded Moses to write a song 15 centuries earlier. We're going to examine together what Adonai said about this song before it went on public record in its debut. Let's go to Deuteronomy 31 together, and we're going to pick up in verse 19.
0: Somebody say, there when you're there. Did you realize that God is the most prolific music producer of all time? Barry Gibbs got nothing on him. God doesn't know who Clive Owens is. Neither <laughs> do I. But. I'm going to stop. Deuteronomy.
1: All right. We say they are in faith all of the time, and I'm going to leave it in the positive that way. Are you actually there with me? Yes. Now, therefore, write this. Song. Saints, before we go any further, you should recognize that this is a song that was not spontaneously produced out of the heart of a man. This is a song that was produced out of the heart of God and was commanded to be commissioned. And teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers... And they have eaten and are full and grown fat. They will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. It's difficult so far. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten
0: in the mouths of their offspring unforgettable see I told you I was not a musical man no yeah.
1: Since this song was specifically commissioned by God and who did he choose to write it
0: Moses wait what's wrong with you people you're not awake this morning oh, somebody who say did Moses? choose to write it oh, Moses. say Moses
1: again oh, yeah. Cody can you say Moshe from the back Out of everybody that could have been chosen. He chose the prophet who spoke to him face to face. I mean, the prophet that is said to be a prototype of the Christ. Like there will be another prophet like you, Moses. Now consider the parameters of the song for a moment. I mean, we got a few in the room that are creative. On the drop of a hat, Peyton can produce a song in about 12 hours for the next service. But the song was said by God... To have to be unforgettable. (laughs) No pressure. I mean, consider that you are required to write a song that for thousands of years will not be forgotten. And why are you considering that? I mean, pause for a minute. Bear in mind that the physical copy of the book of Deuteronomy is going to be lost by the people who hear the song. And yet the song itself is to be unforgettable. Almost as if you might remember the lyrics to something, even if you forgot where it came from. Like other songs, the lyrics would reside within the memory of the people, even if they didn't really know what the lyrics meant or were in such bad shape that they forgot where it came from and forgot. In fact, God would arrange triggering events in the future of Israel that would cause those lyrics to come back to their mind, but with a fuller revelation of what it actually meant.
0: Have y'all never experienced that? Like certain settings cause you to, like I'll never see a girl get married again, somebody's daughter, without thinking of Bob Carlisle and butterfly kisses. I mean, there are certain events that cause you to reflect on, well, God said what the events would be in advance. We're going to pick up back in verse 21 and read through 22 together.
1: And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. Are you catching that God said in advance that this song would come back to them during difficult and evil days? For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know that they are inclined, what they are inclined to do, even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give them. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. Uh, You just heard. The text says that Moses wrote the song and taught it to the people of Israel. But you don't see the song in the text yet. There's no record of the lyrics. No unveiling of what it is about. In fact, God said that the song would be for a time... When many evils and troubles had come upon them. Meaning it has an ultimate fulfillment that is still yet future. That is when the melody, the lyrics, the things that they could recall in a tune will suddenly become unveiled and have their greatest meaning. Now, I want you to engage with me for a minute. We have a special song that is forecasted to have future relevance. The people are told to be taught the song... But you don't have the meaning or the lyrics yet. Something has to occur before the lyrics are unveiled. Before the text will go on to tell us the lyrics, we see Jesus. I mean, Yehoshua or Joshua. Let's take verse 23 and see what is unveiled before you're allowed to receive the lyrics and understand the meaning of the song that the people of
0: Israel have already been taught. You got it? The song is written... But undisclosed. We don't see the song yet. But we do see Jesus. I mean Joshua. And the Lord commissioned
1: Joshua. The son of Nun. And said be strong and courageous. For you shall bring the people of Israel. Into the land that yes! I swore to them. I will be with you. Saints it was only after the appointment of Jesus. Or Yehoshua that the details of an unforgettable song that Adonai himself said the people would remember, it's only until the appearance of Joshua that the actual lyrics are published and the full meaning of the lyrics are
0: understood by the people of God. See, if you're stuck on that screen and you're not reading in your Bible, that's okay for this second because it makes a great analogy. You don't know what the song is yet. Because you can't scan down the page. So the text has told us that Moses wrote it, that he taught it, but you don't know what it is. It's only after the appearance of Joshua that the song's text is revealed. I want to pick up in Deuteronomy 31.30 with you. Then Moses spoke the words of this song. See, after the appearance, until they were finished, in the ears of all the assembly. The song Moses composed is an unforgettable song, but its meaning does not come into view until Israel experiences a time of trouble. That is what the song was written for. The details of the song were only disclosed and published after the appearance of Joshua. Yeah, Chris is getting it. Are you beginning to feel the rhythm yet? if you're not it's okay we're going to keep breathing on you until you learn to start to get in step with the spirit i've spent 30 years and jen hadn't taught me to dance yet i just kind of hug her and walk in circles but it works (laughs) let's touch on some of the elements of the song we're not going to be able to cover the whole song because it's long it's 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 longer than the bohemian rhapsody And you should be listening to this song all day long after we're done. That's what we're trying to do. I mean, after all, it's a song that God said would never be forgotten. And you're just learning it. I'm going to introduce you to the intended audience. And I'm going to familiarize you with the sections that Paul clearly sampled from in Romans 11. Fair enough? Chapter 32, verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain. My speech distill as the dew. Like gentle rain upon tender grass. And like showers upon the herb. To start with, this unforgettable song was intended for ears in the heavens. Somebody say heavens. Heavens. And ears on the earth. Now that's quite the audience, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... Bono's got nothing on Moses. It's kind of like it's going to reveal a mystery that even the angels long to look into. Wow. However, like most songs, even when the lyrics are recalled, the actual meaning isn't quite clear until you've had an encounter with the appointment of Joshua or Jesus. Yeah? Pick up with me in Deuteronomy 32.6. Are you all awake today? Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? See why I wanted you to be awake for that lyric? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? The unforgettable song extols the greatness of Adonai. And it raises the question of repayment to the Lord. This really is what Paul was sampling from in Romans 11:33 through 35. How about Deuteronomy 32, 20? And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. The unforgettable song... Details a time of Adonai hiding his face from Israel. This is the temporary or the partial hardening that Paul was remembering and sampling from when he wrote Romans eleven twenty-five 25 through 26. Move to Deuteronomy 32, 21, and we'll start to put these together for you. They have made me jealous With what is no God. That's God speaking. He's jealous because they have gone after idols. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So, somebody say so. So. I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. The unforgettable song clearly displays Israel causing jealousy in Adonai, and then Adonai promising to make Israel envious or jealous through the means of his working among Gentiles. This is what Paul is remembering and sampling from when he wrote Romans 11:13 13 through 16. Now, you're an educated church. So I don't need to tell you that Paul memorized the unforgettable song by the time he was five years old. Yeah, that's a part of his Torah training. It would literally be the first thing, I mean, for you, the first song you ever learned might have been the ABCs, or Mary Had a Little Teapot, or Mary Had a Little Lamb, or the one with the spider and the water spout. I didn't grow up with nursery rhymes, Jen. I'm sorry. Paul grew up with this song memorized. I don't need to tell you that Paul knew the melody and that he could recall the lyrics but the scripture displays that he didn't really know what they meant until after the appointment of Joshua, I mean Jesus. I don't need to tell you that Paul was recalling the song when he produced his own magnum opus in Romans 11 because we've just displayed it. I don't need to tell you that Paul recalling this song caused him to burst into his own doxology, extolling the brilliance and wisdom of God. I don't need to tell you that because you already know all of those things. Instead, Judah's going to show you a slide with one-for-one parallels so that you can appreciate what Moses announced in advance and the way that the lyrics came to have special meaning in the life of the Apostle Paul.
1: All right, so we're going to take another visual aid for the rhythmically impaired. Paul sampling Moses' unforgettable song. So you'll notice that in Romans 11, 33 through 35, the question is about repayment to the Lord. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 6, the question is also about repayment to the Lord. The import would be, that no man, not Jew, Gentile, any nation has ever been able to repay God. So a mysterious act of grace must be required. Romans eleven twenty-five 25-26. The partial hardening or temporary hardening of Israel that is prior to their national salvation. You notice that in Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty, The partial hardening of Israel or him turning his face for a time is just prior To their national salvation. Then 13 through 16 in Romans 11. Israel will be made jealous by the Gentiles. And what does God forecast in Deuteronomy 32, 21 he will do? That he will make Israel jealous through the Gentiles in the same way he had been made jealous. Look at that screen for
0: just a second. We don't want to teach today. we got some things to preach about. On the left side, say Descending. On the right side, ascending. Very, very interesting. Help us out, Judah. So the biblically
1: astute in the room who've spent some time in Romans 11 may have already noticed that Paul quotes law prophets' writings multiple times. You should be noticing at this point that he also knows the unforgettable song well enough to walk through it backwards and forwards.
0: Now, as you're looking at... did you catch that? Backwards? Descending? Forwards? Ascending? Yeah.
1: This was written 15 centuries prior to Paul. And Adonai himself is the one who commissioned this and said that it would be an unforgettable song. A song that forecasted the mystery of Adonai's redemptive plan for Israel and the role of Gentiles in it before they ever entered into the promised land. Look, as much as it was a mystery that us Gentiles could have an inclusion into the kingdom of God, somebody say amen. Amen. It was also equally a mystery that we would become instruments in the hand of God to spur on the salvation of national Israel. Guys, what we're seeing here is Paul's mastery of the first five books and the unforgettable song that comes at the end of the Torah. What we want to do together now is look at the culmination of the unforgettable song. I mean, like the best points of the outro that was given to Moses. That in mind, you need to remember. This is what Paul is drawing from in his magnum opus, Romans 11. And that magnum opus was presenting the process of salvation for all Israel. So let's do Deuteronomy 32, verse 36. For the Lord will, will. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. Saints, you have all of the time in the world to go back over your foundations teachings, and we don't have time to retread ground like Daniel 7 and other places that we already have. But for this morning, you should know that the unforgettable song, well, It's during the times of the greatest evil and trouble when their power is gone that it is fully revealed and has its fullest manifestation. It is in the time when the power of Israel will be gone that Jesus or Joshua's appointment will be unveiled and all Israel will experience the total redemption. That Moses forecasted 15 centuries before Paul and that even as Paul is writing to a mixed congregation, Paul cannot Forget the unforgettable song. We're gonna take the very last verse in the unforgettable song together. And again, this is his outro statement, verse 43. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Does that sound familiar? It's almost as if that's where we started in the song. Do you
0: mean that it started with addressing the heavens and the song finishes with addressing the heavens?
1: It goes on to make a command Bow down to him. All gods. Saints, I don't need to explain to you that that's not a request. It's a forecasting of what will happen. For he avenges the blood of his children. Wow. And takes vengeance on his adversaries and repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Thanks. Deuteronomy 32 begins with an address to the heavens and ends with an address to the heavens. It is declaring things beyond what terrestrial men hear to the very powers above about what he will do with his people. The mystery of both Jews and Gentiles' inability to repay God. Well, it's one that is brought to finality despite temporary hardness and problems. In fact, it's actually brought to finality during great times of evil and trouble. The God of heaven and of earth. Well, he'll bring in mysterious graftons. In a way that appeared to be impossible to save. I mean, I'm talking about men who are descended from goat-worshipping Gentiles. Who will call on the name of Israel. That is a mystery. But it is also a mystery. That those graftons would then aid his people. By inspiring a jealousy for the God of Israel. In the end of this unforgettable song, those who oppose God both in the heavens and on the earth, they're gone and they're judged for how they related to Him and His people. Amen. Saints, the people and the land of Israel are destined to be redeemed. And those who have aided her as Gentile graftins have the same destiny. Moses wrote about this unforgettable song. 15 centuries before Paul's magnum opus in Romans 11. And the language of this unforgettable song, well, it doesn't end with Paul. It's actually pervasive through the very book
0: of Revelation. It's pervasive where? Through through the book of Revelation. Because our Bible was produced by the Jewish people and the song was unforgettable. Now, the order of events that we've laid out is instructive. The unforgettable song was composed. Then Joshua was appointed. Then the meaning of the unforgettable song was published so that in times of trouble, Israel and the Gentiles could remember that these things were foretold before they happened. That's kind of neat, huh? Speaking of the order, Moses appointed Joshua. Moses published this unforgettable prophetic song. Then Moses is buried, and Joshua begins to lead Israel. That's what those next few chapters are. Do you know who the very first Gentile is that Israel encounters after they learn this unforgettable song? Who? Turn three chapters in your Bible towards the right. You'll be in Joshua chapter 2, so we can learn from the example of Rahab. After learning the unforgettable song, the first Gentile that they meet is Rahab. Oh, now as we pick up in jo- Joshua 2. I'm going to be in verse 6. You already know that two Jewish men are in mortal danger in Jericho. The king of Jericho is seeking their very lives. Yeah. Joshua 2.6. But she had brought them up to the roof. And hid them with stalks of flax. That she had laid in order on the roof. You know, perhaps the most important detail that we can glean from Rahab is that she offered shelter to Jews when their very lives were in danger. I mean, she took them into her home and hid them in her personal space. So, I don't know, something seems wrong with you guys this morning. If you are taking notes, You're going to want to note that Rahab took Jews into her home and hid them. Somebody tell me that you're awake. awake. All right, you're gonna want to follow along with this. Okay, we are already working to sing you a tune. Don't make us dance for you too.
1: I'm just gonna ask a question that might help your attention. When you meet the King of Israel in all eternity, would you like that to go well for you? Or would you like to be ashamed? No. So as I hit this next section of Joshua 2, I suggest that you take note of what we're covering because it might just help your eternal state.
0: When all else fails, appeal to their personal interest. Yes. That'll get your attention.
1: (laughs) Before the men lay down, verse 8, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The land! And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. So Rahab, as a Gentile knows, as a clear personal conviction. I mean, she's declaring it and acting upon it. That Adonai has given the land to Israel. Now remember, they just crossed over and they haven't conquered much yet. In fact, Jericho's the first to fall. But she is reaffirming the promise to these men that God made to Israel. And she advocates for Adonai's ultimate outcome even before it even looks like the land is in Israel's hands. So if you're taking notes, Rahab affirmed that the Lord has given the land to Israel. There was no arguments
0: over who was there first. There were no Demographic studies. There's only two Jews there. But Rahab knows it belongs to them. Yeah. So Rahab even recounted the drying up of the Red Sea. Uh, She recounts the exodus. She recounts the elimination of two Nephilim kings. Now we're going to pick up in Joshua 2.11. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. This is Rahab speaking. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Okay, get this. Without a Bible, without any record of somebody preaching to her, this Gentile knew and declared that Yahweh, Israel's God, was God over the heavens and the earth. If you are taking notes, Rahab declared that Israel's God is the God of heaven and earth.
1: Where have you heard that before?
0: Look, we're going to move down to verse 12.
1: Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign That you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Now while you're reflecting on that statement, remember Rahab is a Gentile. Moreover, Rahab is a Gentile prostitute. But this Gentile prostitute knew that the only way to receive kindness was to deal in kindness toward the people of God that is Israel. Sounds like I would like this Gentile prostitute to preach in most churches instead of their pastors. Look, this was well, done- there's
0: already prostitutes preaching behind most pulpits.
1: <laughs> At least this, that one's not lying about it. Now remember this Gentile prostitute is showing kindness to Israel in contrast to her city. In contrast to her ethnic and national group who are currently looking to do the people of Israel harm. Searching for their very lives. As this required Rahab to offer her life in protection of their lives. Meaning that dealing in kindness toward Israel was at the risk of her own life. But it is what caused the God of Israel to deal kindly with her and her family and spare her lives. Look, I hope you're catching on and you should be taking notes. You might write down that Rahab offered her life and protection of Jewish lives and was dealt kindly with by the people and God of Israel because she dealt kindly with them.
0: Do y'all want to keep going? So between... Those verses in the one that we're about to read, Rahab aided the Jews in their escape by lowering them with a rope from her window. She even gave them instructions on how to evade their pursuers. Then she was instructed about a sign of or the oath that they had just taken. Sign, oath, covenant, all is the same in this text that she had made with the people of Israel. Look at Joshua 2.18. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. So what's happening is Rahab put a sign, a scarlet cord, a tikvah in Hebrew, in the very same window that she had used to see the deliverance of the first two Jews she encountered. You get how the location is the same there? Tikva has a double meaning. It's both a scarlet cord in this text, and it happens to be the Hebrew word for hope. Most people only glean that it represented Rahab's hope of being saved. But in reality, it represented the hope that she had already expressed in the previous verses, and we asked you to notate. Namely, the people of God were worth hiding. The land of Israel was given to Israel by God. The God of Israel is the God of the heavens and the earth. Dealing kindly with Israel causes you to be dealt kindly with by the God of Israel. Rahab actually entered into covenant with God by entering into covenant with God's people. The sign of Rahab's salvation was that she believed in the hope of Israel. If you're taking notes, Rahab had hope through the promises of Israel. Yeah. So if you know us, we're
1: going to move to verse 21, and you might be catching on that your sixth note is coming. And he said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord, or the tikvah, in the window. Now, if you're in a more dynamic translation, like the NIV or the NET, your Bible likely says that Rahab agreed or committed to these things. That would be because that is the general meaning of the phrase. In the context of the passage, however, there's a remez at work in Rahab's words. What's a remez? A hint! hint. According to... Whose words? According to... Your words. As in the words that were given to Israel. And then she follows
0: it up with. So so be it. it. Who is the recipient of the oracles of God? It was Israel. And she is saying according to your word. So be it. Then what action does
1: she follow it up with? She ties the scarlet cord up. Meaning that Rahab had special faith in the words of the Jewish men. The words Jewish men were given to speak from the Almighty about the land they would possess. So if you're taking notes, your six might be that Rahab had faith
0: in the words God gave to Israel. So the two Jews escaped by following Rahab's advice. They had a three-day experience that delivered them from the threat of death. When they got back to the encampment of Israel... So the two Jews are back safe within the encampment on the other side of the Jordan. I want you to hear the report they gave. You ready for it? This would be Joshua 2.24. And they, those two Jews, said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now I can tell you're not getting it. So I want to help you. Only one generation before this event, Israel had been completely faithless. They'd been hardened by sin's deceitfulness for a time. And because of that, they would not enter the land. However, this experience is completely different only one generation later. Think about some of the reasons why. A Gentile and her testimony played a vital role in the dramatic turn of events. Remember that it was Rahab who told the two Jewish men that the inhabitants of the land melted away in fear because of Israel. She told them that. These Jewish men encountered a Gentile who actually strengthened their own faith by affirming that she knew the promises from God to Israel were true. If you don't think that's good, go get a donut or something. You're thinking outside the mind of Christ. We're trying to get in Christ. This is the first Gentile after that song was written. The unforgettable song that they were probably singing While they were hiding on her roof, let's review seven ways that Rahab provoked faith and confidence in the Jewish people. Rahab's enviable actions. If you hadn't got it, we asked you to take those notes because there should be some parallels in your life. Number one Rahab took Jews into her home and hid them. That's enviable. Anybody read the story of Cory Tim Boom? Come on. Number two, Rahab affirmed that the Lord has given the land to Israel. That was in advance of them taking the land. Number three, Rahab declared that Israel's God is the God of the heavens and earth. Number four, Rahab offered her life in protection of Jewish lives and was dealt with kindly by the people of people and God of Israel because she dealt kindly with them. Yeah. Number five, Rahab had hope through the promises of Israel. Ooh, Number six, Rahab had faith in the words God gave to Israel. Yeah. Number seven, and my favorite, yeah. Rahab strengthened the faith Of Jews. Is anybody awake in here? You starting to catch the drumbeat? So,
1: in hearing excerpts or riffs of the unforgettable song, as well as Paul's samplings of those certain riffs, he likely picked up on the fact that we have a role to play. I mean, you got a, a job in the mystery of Israel's redemption. Our hope is that your newfound engagement with the very first Gentile described after the revelation of Joshua, or Jesus, and the unforgettable song, well, it is giving you a clearer picture of what it means to fulfill your role
0: as a Gentile in Adonai's plan. Even if you don't get it now, our hope is that a certain melody is starting to seep into your soul, and these lyrics will come back to you during days of unparalleled evils.
1: Now, in the intro to this message, when we began to plant seeds that were intended to help you understand today, my father briefly touched on the true conditions upon which Pentecost will arrive at its ultimate fulfillment. And it's important that we review it so that we fully understand the cost involved in things like the itai doctrine that we've been preaching on, and the measure by which we will be judged on that day. Let's begin just after the verses that you as crazy charismatics or Pentecostals all already know. We're going to hop in to verse 30 of chapter 2 in Joel. Just after the proclamation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. To see what accompanies the day that that is fully manifested. Somebody say there as you're getting there. I'm going to begin in verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on The earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Guys, this morning, it's unfortunate, but we don't have time to teach you the book of Joel. You should be aware, though, that men from the majority of the nations in the world will attack the people of Israel and be in the process of breaking their power completely just prior to the national baptism in the spirit of all Israel. Just like the unforgettable song said. Those armies will be completely destroyed, those who attacked Israel, during the events of the coming of the Lord. However, Joel, Isaiah, Zechariah, Amos, and the other prophets, they let us know that there will be survivors among those in the nations who did not participate in the attack on Jerusalem. Okay, so they're
0: they're now staring intently, (laughs) and that's good. We don't have a great deal of time, but those nations, and men from every nation will do it, that march on Israel, they're going to be destroyed. But not every man in the nations marches on Israel. And those survivors, there's a criteria by which they're judged.
1: So where we're going, we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 1, and you're going to find out what the criteria of judgment is for surviving Gentiles. For behold, in those days, and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, never if, always when, I will gather all the nations. Saints, you should remember that phrase. All the nations. And bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there. On behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. Saints, all the nations of the world, all those that are surviving after the initial arrival of the Lord, they will be brought to judgment over three main issues. Somebody say three main issues. 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 Issue number one. God's people, Israel, meaning he will enter into judgment with them about how they treated Jews. Issue number two, God's intention to inherit Israel, meaning he will enter into judgment with how they treated the plan of God through Israel as Adonai's heritage. Third issue, God's land, meaning that he will enter into judgment with the nations, over how they treated the very specific land of Israel that God both designated for his people and caused his name to personally dwell in forever. Look, as we sit here today, it's been noted by many prominent leaders that well over half of all UN resolutions have dealt with Israel negatively. Guys, this is because the nations hate the God of Israel. They hate Israel the people of Israel. And they most of all hate the plan to redeem the world through Israel. It's almost like the nations of the world have forgot the unforgettable song and our role in
0: its description. Judah, we really could offer evidence of that truth in unending succession for hours. But we're 56 minutes into a message. The point that we're trying to drive at today is that it's time to remember the unforgettable song. It's time for us to embrace our role in the mysterious salvation of Israel. Rahab gives us an excellent model by which we can perform our role. By the way, Joel, Joel is not the only one who spoke of the criteria for the judgment of Gentile nations. No, no, he's not. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25 and hear Joshua, I mean Jesus teach us how he interpreted joel chapter 3 verses 1 through 2 that judah just read you keep in mind when you get to matthew 25 that jesus has just taught about the distress and troubling times followed by the salvation of israel in matthew 24. so just like joel 2 talked about distress troubling times followed by the salvation of israel And then Joel 3 moved to the judgment of the nations. Matthew 24 mirrors Joel 2. And Matthew 25 mirrors Joel 3. Are y'all learning something today? This is Jesus teaching on the criteria for the judgment on the surviving Gentiles from the nations. Y'all ready? Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, so he's already arrived. And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. It could be said that he's sharing his father's throne right now, but he will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. That's what this verse is speaking about. Him as an earthly king in an earthly kingdom that is heavenly in its nature because that's where it was derived from. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Have you heard that before? And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, the eschatological sequence of events and the implications, we're an hour into our message, so they're beyond our scope right now. I do want to spend the rest of the day talking about the difference between being a glorified priest at the coming of the Lord and a millennial type of salvation. Those are subjects worth discussing and Matthew 25 deals with it. But to be honest, most of you aren't ready for it. So what I want to do is tell you that the point of what we're aiming at right here is the order of Matthew 24 and 25 fits the exact same pattern as Joel 2 and Joel 3. Moreover, The criteria for judging the surviving Gentile nations is the same. It's just expounded upon. Let's listen to the criteria. Did you give food to the Jewish people? Did you give drink to the Jewish people? Did you shelter Jews in your home? Did you provide clothing for Jews? Did you care? For sick Jews? Did you care for imprisoned Jews? You see how Rahab prepares you very, very well for the criteria? Now, if you're alive at his coming, you'll be changed. You'll be glorified. We are speaking about the surviving Gentiles from the nations that were not in Christ, but they also did not attack Israel. The criteria is what you did or did not do for the Jewish people.
1: If you're not catching our Joshua or Jesus repetition that keeps going back and forth, I can't help if you haven't listened to the Hours of Foundations classes that led up to that. But when Joshua shows up to Jericho, what question is he asking? Did you or did you not shelter my Jewish men?
0: Who were the only Gentiles saved at Jericho?
1: Only those who meet this criteria.
0: Let's look at Matthew twenty-five forty-one, and we're going to keep moving because we don't want to preach all day. We've given you a lot to think about, and we, we want to help shape your thoughts about it and make the rest of your day productive. Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Adonai desires the salvation of all men. And the fires of hell, they were not really prepared for men. However, when Gentiles reject the role that we were given by failing to aid the promise of the land of Israel, the promise to the people of Israel, and the plan of God to redeem the world through Israel, when we fail to embrace that role, then men are rightly condemned to hell with the devil and his angels. It's been announced since ages old. It's in an unforgettable song that you need to take the time to learn. Our focus today is on remembering the unforgettable song. It laid out the role of the Gentiles in advance. Gentiles who act like Rahab will have no fear of judgment on that day. Consider again what the first Gentile mentioned in the Tanakh after the unforgettable song did. If we imitate her and we teach our children and disciples to do the same, we will by nature end up serving our purpose in the plan of God as we look forward to blessings in the age to come.
1: So remember as we review this slide that the story of Rahab immediately follows the unveiling of Joshua or Yehoshua and the unforgettable song. This is a part of Adonai's integrated design that is intended to help teach us our role in the plan of God as followers of Yeshua. So Rahab's enviable or jealousy arousing actions, the first of them, and nothing works if you're not willing to do the first of them. Rahab took Jews into her home and hid them. She gave them shelter. Number two, Rahab affirmed, That the Lord has given the land to Israel. Number three. Rahab declared that Israel's God is the God of the heavens and the earth. Number four. Rahab offered her life in protection of Jewish lives. And was dealt with kindly by the people and God of Israel. Because she dealt kindly with them. Number five. Rahab had hope through the promises of Israel. Number six, Rahab had faith in the words God gave to Israel. Number seven, Rahab strengthened the faith of Jews. Guys, these are the kinds of things that result from being in Christ or in Christos. This is in line with the very objectives, the desire, will, and spirit of the Father. Jesus made himself a living sacrifice and we are called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice for such purposes in the same manner that Yeshua did. And Rahab is a model for you as a Gentile as to how to do it. This was the whole point of Romans chapter 12, if you remember. You have already seen the way that Paul's remembrance of the lyrics of the unforgettable song, while they aided him in creating his magnum opus, instead of revisiting Paul's samplings, We're going to show you that Jesus himself never forgot the unforgettable song. No, instead, he completes the unforgettable song. So we're going to hop into Revelation 15. Give me your eyes for a moment. In Revelation 15, you're going to see how two peoples, two mysteries, come together in one completed plan and one completed song. Revelation 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. Saints, we don't have time to expound on the apostle John today. But let me tell you simply, the man who walked with Christ and is standing to see into the end of the age, if he says it's great, amazing it's because it is great and amazing in God's sight and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God and their hands and they sing the song of Moses what And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the
0: Lamb. The song of who? And the the Lamb. Lamb. They had a collaboration. Moses started it. Jesus finished it.
1: Saints, what you're about to read is the completion of the unforgettable song. The text specifically says the song of Moses first and then of the Lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. What are the deeds that he's brought about the redemption of Israel that was a mystery and done it with men who were Gentiles and are now standing at his side, singing along with the God of the heavens and the earth. Just and true are your ways. Some of you may recognize that from Deuteronomy 32. O king of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? All will now. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Saints, can I tell you I am incapable of singing in this life. However, there is a day when everyone who has acted like Rahab and conquered the beast by sheltering Jews, we will all sing together. Saints, clearly Jesus understood the melody. He understood the rhythm. He understood the lyrics of Moses' song because his father is the one who commissioned it. In fact, Jesus completes the song of Moses that was to be unforgettable and will be sung at the end of the age. The question before us today, well, it's of our participation in this mysterious plan. Will we be men who are worthy of envy, envy on the part of the Jewish
0: people or not? Now, if we weren't an hour and eight minutes in, I would show you that when Babylon falls, heaven rejoices because God has avenged on her the blood of his servants. I would show you those parallels. If we weren't an hour and eight minutes in, I would tell you that the first chapter of Romans says that Gentiles are called to the obedience that comes from faith. That there should be obedient actions that show the faith you have. If I had unlimited time, I would probably teach you from Romans 3 that there is a righteousness from God that has been manifested through faith in Jesus Christ. say, I got it, Eric. I already know that. Faith in Jesus Christ. I would teach you that you can't have faith in Jesus Christ without possessing the faith of Jesus Christ. Faith in Disney World is not saving faith. Faith that you go to Disney World in the sky is not saving faith. The faith of Jesus Christ begins with something like the unforgettable song of Moses and carrying out the plan of God for his people. You've now learned that your role in it is like Rahab. And I'm calling you to the obedience that flows from that kind of faith because God has commissioned us to do it. So I want to take one last look at this slide. Worship team, if you'll make your way up here. Rahab's enviable actions, enviable. The introduction to this message was in Christos. If you are actually in the spirit of Christ, in the faith of Christ, when you say you have faith in him, it's not faith that he existed. It's not faith that he died and rose again. I know you think it is. It's not. It is the faith of Jesus, and your faith in him is that not only did those things happen, but they're happening in you. And the obedient actions that you have show that you really do trust that on a daily basis, which by definition means many of you in here that think you have saving faith don't even know what it is. You believe in Jesus like you believe in Julius Caesar. Real historical figures that did real historical things. The kind of faith we're talking about is the same kind of trust that Yeshua displayed in the plan and the God who gave the plan. That is the kind of faith that saves a man. Not just belief that facts happen. I think Rahab's a good model for us. If you are in Christ, then his spirit will compel you towards certain things. Rahab took Jews into her home and hid them. Could you really be in Christ and not want to shelter, not want to help, not want to risk your life for members of his own race who gave you the oracles of God? Okay. Three or four of you said no. The rest of you are looking at me. I want you to understand World War II was a dress rehearsal for this. Yes. All Christians everywhere would like to think that they acted like Jesus. Did they? No. No. It was easy to just look the other way while you sang songs that Luther wrote. Rahab affirmed that the Lord has given the land to Israel. Can you really be in Christ and this be an argument for you? No. Can you really be in Christ and his spirit not compel you to stand on this truth when it becomes unpopular? No. How could any Christian ever be for a two-state solution? You can't be in Christ. You cannot be operating in the spirit and desire of Christ and be for the partitioning of God's land. It's one of the criteria that all Gentiles will be judged by. Yes. In Christ, you have to affirm that the land of Israel was given by the God of Israel to the people of Israel. Rahab declared that Israel's God is the God of the heavens and the earth. Can you be in Christ and be speaking to any people group in the world? And let's just pick our Muslim friends for a minute. Those trapped by the satanic pedophile prophet Muhammad. Can you really be in Christ Look at somebody who is being blanketed by a satanic book called the Quran and simply speak about Jesus as the savior of humanity, Jesus as the son of God, without speaking about God. The God of Israel is the God over heaven and earth. No. Do you see how these little compromises Push a Gentile to a position that is not enviable and not in the spirit of Christ. You know how many times I've been told that you can't talk about Israel to Muslims? You can only talk about Israel to Muslims. Rahab offered her life in protection of Jewish lives. Focus on the fact that you think she lied. You focus on the fact that she was a prostitute. And you have missed the fact that her life was at risk 100% of the time that she was helping these men. The basis by which Rahab was treated kindly was that she treated God's people kindly. Can you really be in Christos? And not risk your life for the ones God cares about? Think through that for a minute. This is going to be tested. And your dress rehearsal every day is, how about relatives you don't like? How about anybody you don't like? But the one people group on the planet that you will be judged by most severely for not dealing kindly with are the ones that God elected and said he would save. Rahab had hope through The promises of Israel. These promises were not given to Rahab. They were given to Israel. But her hope, her saving hope, came through believing what God said to Israel about Israel. Can you really be in Christ and have a different view than that? No. Maybe you could be a misguided, half handicapped, spiritual son. And need to get these things straightened out. But you cannot be in Christos and maintain views that are other than that. Rahab had faith in the words God gave to Israel. We need to be able to look at the Jewish nation in the spirit of Christ and say, according to your words, so be it. Rahab strengthened the faith of Jews. I don't want to answer any more questions about how to witness to Jews. How about you learn to live like Rahab? Not the whoring part.
1: <laughs>
0: That's funny. You already know how to whore. And you start f- strengthening the faith of the Jewish people by simply reminding them of what God says about them. But we need to share Jesus. We need to share. How about you start with what God says about them? Say, so, but I want to witness Jesus. That is witnessing Jesus. Would you all please stand to your feet? We have been reviewing an order over and over and over in Exodus, where at an hour and 16 minutes and an hour and 20 is about my rhythm. Not in Exodus, in Ezekiel 36, the people return to the land. They begin to be cleansed by the Word of God. In that cleansing with the Word of God, it reveals stony hearts. Those stony hearts are then given to be hearts of flesh by the Father, not because anybody could repay him, not because it was deserved. It is his goodness. It is a work of regeneration by the Spirit. And then after that, God puts his Spirit in them for the purpose of them being able to obey. Now, we have tasted of the age to come, at least Many of you have. There's some of you in here that you've heard about the age to come. You've certainly not tasted of it. And you have to ask yourself in this process. Okay, well, I was drawn into here. That's, that's cool. I'm a member. I'm a part. I'm in of the Gentile version of the land, if you will, to extend this metaphor. But is your heart really completely new? Or is it just credited with newness? Because you have an obligation To till the soil of your heart. And you have to remove stones. You have to remove thistles and weeds. And things that choke. You have to work the soil of your heart. And when you identify stones. And you offer them to your Lord. As a regenerative ongoing work of his spirit. He will create new places in your heart. That's what will happen. He has declared your heart new because he is making it new. But you have a role in that. You need to humbly accept what the word says because it can save you. The word planted in you can save you. It's not an automatic done deal. That was a lie that a Gentile made up. You have to work the stony areas of your heart and he will be faithful to make them new. If you're faithful to offer them to him, That is a regenerative work of the Spirit. And you're not done with it yet. Then we get baptized in the Spirit. This is His empowerment, not just to speak in tongues or prophesy, but to live in a way that is obedient to what you now know. Tell me that any of you are so baptized in the Spirit that your obedience has been perfect. Don't you dare accept that it never will be perfect and there's no reason to try. Don't you dare do that. That cheap charlatan message, you are to be yearning and striving to be close enough to your father in Christos enough that what you've been credited with is becoming a reality more and more every day. The danger in teaching these things is you might not meet a Jew today. But you are certainly in a place when you can learn from that example and work the stony places in your heart, not just towards Israel. How you feel about Israel, that's just a manifestation about how you feel about Israel's God. Let's start with every area that you are habitually not obedient in and work backwards. You have to be empowered by a spirit. Before he'll do that, he has to. Have you acknowledge that stony area of your heart and ask him for regeneration. And if you can sit in service after service, while you are continuing with anything less than full obedience, and none of you are fully obedient, from elders to the children, you are not. And you are not identifying stony areas and asking for regeneration then you have cheapened the blood of Christ. This is our chance. He is teaching us. Now we need to humble ourselves so that we will be useful vessels that can carry his word. This is our chance to come before our Father and ask to be prepared to fulfill our actual role in the plan of God. But you will completely miss it if you can't work the soil of your heart now. So we're going to open these altars for you to work the soil of your heart. The difficult thing about sin's deceitfulness is the more deceived you are, the more you think your heart is just fine. Ask him to pierce you with his word. To enlighten your eyes by his spirit so you can see what you must repent from. We have to be obedient more tomorrow than we were today. We have to. That's what growth looks like. And you'll never have an enviable life by the Jewish nation by simply claiming you're righteous in Jesus while you live like hell. Father, we're asking here in this time of your dealing with us for broken and contrite hearts Lord, we're asking you to break the stony pieces of our heart. And we're asking for that so that you can put it back together the way that you want it to be. You can make it new. Lord, we need your newness in us to be a reality. We need you to create in us a clean heart. Not just today But most days, Father, we're asking for that outpouring of your spirit of holiness that helps us see what we can't see so that we can cry to you for transformation, knowing that you will give us transformation. Father, may this church rise to fulfill the role that you have given us.